Al Jazeera podcast. Hi, everyone. Malika here. September 30th marks International Podcast Day. And we're turning the mic on you, our listeners, so we can feature your voice on the show. We want to hear what you like about the take and why you listen. Head to this episode's description for a link to record a voice message with your answer, along with your name and where you're listening from. We'll be featuring those messages on our social media accounts and some of our episodes next week. And now, here's today's show. Ennis Altakriti lives in London, one of the world's financial capitals. Five dollars, please, Simon. But for almost a decade now, he's been cut off from the world of financial transactions. The other day, I found myself having to walk for over two hours simply because none of my cars worked. I couldn't get on a bus, I couldn't get on the tube, I couldn't get an Uber, couldn't do anything. This is what it feels like to be debanked. That's the term for when an account gets shut down because it's believed to pose a legal or financial risk to the bank. In the UK, the number of accounts affected has been growing every year. A new report claims that banks have closed a million accounts in the last four years. The former boss of the British Banks Association says there has long been concern that these rules have scooped up too many. Reform is needed. But it only recently made it into the headlines when former Brexit leader Nigel Farage went through the same ordeal. I had been debanked because of my political views and not aligning with the values of the bank. And the question I was asking was, how many other people has this happened to? The uproar caught the government's attention and prompted an inquiry. The regulator found no evidence banks were closing accounts due to customers' political views. We have not identified any closures that have actually happened on the basis of lawfully held political views. What I'm also saying, though, is in this category of closures because of reputational risk, we need to do some further work. So what does it feel like to be debanked? I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Ennis is the founder of the Cordoba Foundation. Its mission is to bridge the gap between the Muslim world and the West. Many of the UK's debanked, like Ennis, are Muslim. He says it's been a struggle to get his story heard. I'm waiting nine years, and to be perfectly honest, besides one or two brave journalists, no one really wanted to touch the story. Ennis, can you just start us off by reading some of that letter that HSBC sent to you, informing you that your accounts were being closed? Uh, this letter was sent on the 21st of July, 2014, and it started, Dear Mr. Altikriti, subject account closure. After a review of your relationship with HSBC, we have taken the decision that we no longer wish to provide you with banking facilities and are closing your accounts. It is very important that you read this carefully, for clarity. It is not our intention to offer banking facilities to you in the future, and I would ask that you refrain from making any applications to open accounts with us or indeed any part of the HSBC group. Whilst I understand you may not agree with our decision, I can confirm that this constitutes the bank's final position on the matter. You may contact us on this so number, between 9 and 5, Monday to Friday, yours sincerely, S. Wilson, manager. 
Okay, so that doesn't offer a ton of explanation. Why do you think this happened? It's, it offers no explanation whatsoever. And because I was offered no reason, I can only come up with my own. And my inclination was to assume that this was a political decision and not a financial one. Enes was an HSBC customer for 29 years, and he said he never had any problems. But his background and his public profile may have drawn attention. I was born in Iraq, and I came to the UK as a child, and I've spent my entire life in the UK. I am a political activist. I was quite outspoken in my condemnation of the war in the wars in Afghanistan, and particularly the war in Iraq. I was one of the leading figures of the anti-war movement and led the 2003 2 million march. I come from a family that is conservative, and my father, a long time ago, was the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood in Iraq. Mm. My political affiliations are quite clear. I identify as a British Muslim. I stand up for Palestine. I stand up for Muslim rights. I stand up against Islamophobia, against fascism and racism. But ultimately speaking, I speak up for what is in the best interest of my country, Britain, and my people, the British people. So let's go back to that moment when you found out that you lost your bank account. Tell me what happened. I was at home, and a bunch of letters came addressed to myself. There were two letters to my then wife and to my two sons, at the time age 16 and 12. And at first, I have to say that I felt that there was some error. So, you know, I tried to make contact with my branch. And at first, as usual, they were quite welcoming and running me through security. But then they would take a couple of minutes to go and clarify and come back with a very stern and stony voice saying that they can't tell me any uh, more really? and not to expect any explanation as the bank had no obligation towards me to offer me one. So suddenly no more friendly waves and smiles. It's all business. Did you ever try using the card? Did you ever try actually just thinking, maybe this is a mistake. I'll just see if I can buy something. I did. The card was gobbled up by the machine. So I realized that this was serious. Wow. So I'm curious how this works exactly. So at first you have another bank account that you can transfer things into, but since then you've had other accounts shut by other banks. And so then you really run out of places to actually put your money. Can you talk about how that affected your life? Up until today, I have had seven banks, as the saying goes, debank me. And over 10 accounts in all, personal as well as business. And the past nine years, since that time when HSBC closed down my accounts, I have been on a continuous trawling of every single bank imaginable to try to open substitute accounts. On one occasion, I was rendered without a bank account for a number of months. During that time, you simply can't do anything. You can't purchase anything using a card. When you do pay with cash, you get those sort of odd looks. Why are you carrying uh, in your pocket yeah. bundles of cash with you? Yeah. Uh, regardless of the safety concerns and the such that, that come attached to that. If you take your kids out, you need to not embarrass yourself by standing at a till and then being told that, you know, that you can't pay. It sounds like a very mundane episode of Black Mirror. You just have no idea how much you rely on this. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. I have plenty to cover my expenses, but the thing is that I can't use them, especially 
in a society like ours, which is moving closer and closer to becoming cashless. And as such, the bank account or banking facilities in general become as essential as the water supply or as the electricity that comes to your home because without it, you can't function. Yeah. And therefore, I've always called for banking facilities being considered a basic human right. After the break, how this fight for banking rights finally reached the upper levels of power. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Financial institutions are meant to use debanking as a tool to stop financial crimes like money laundering or fraud. And the way that Ennis was suddenly cut off without warning or explanation is by design. A bank is going to need to exercise caution in its communications with a customer. It's got to be really careful that it doesn't tip off a customer that an investigation is or may be carried out by law enforcement in the future. The problem, though, is that innocent account holders are increasingly getting caught up in this system. And reports have shown that minority groups are disproportionately affected. Recently, there were several reports showing that out of the thousands that were debanked over the past few years, the majority of whom were Muslims. Banks rely on risk assessment agencies to screen their clients for potential risks. But sometimes those companies have gotten it wrong. In 2014, Finsbury Park Mosque was wrongly linked to terrorism. HSBC closed its account. Other charities affected by this say it stems from Islamophobia, coupled with counter-terrorism financing procedures, which helped banks to close accounts arbitrarily. Ennis thinks that his past political activism may have gotten his name thrown in to these risk databases. I pointed my finger squarely at the UAE government, which I understand has uh, quite a primary share in HSBC. And because of my position regarding the regime and the regime regarding myself, I believe that this was a politically driven and a politically motivated decision. Neither HSBC nor the UAE have responded to the accusation. Ennis says it shouldn't be that easy for banks to shut down accounts. There was a term that emerged when HSBC took down my account in 2014, which we hadn't heard before, and that was the risk appetite. At the time, I was described that I was beyond the risk appetite of the bank. So, you know, if it's a Muslim charity that sends funds to refugees, let's say in Lebanon or Syria or Yemen, you know what? We'd rather not take that risk. So just to be safe, we'll close down your account. We'll give you your money back, but we'll close down your account. Neglecting the tremendous impact that this has on people's lives as well as their businesses. In addition to Ennis's foundation, other prominent Muslim charities have had their accounts closed too, like the Ummah Welfare Trust and Islamic Relief. But Ennis told me that he thinks there could be many more. Well, you have to realize something, Kevin, that most organizations, especially charitable organizations, will not come forth and speak of their tribulations with their banks simply because it will ruin their reputations and credibility with their members, with their donors, with their backers. 
it has tremendous impact. And therefore, many of the charities who had their accounts closed down pleaded with us not to mention their names. I have to say that my own organization is teetering on the brink. And unfortunately, many people think that by talking about the fact that they aren't offered banking facilities, that they would give the idea that they had done something wrong. Amongst those that came forward were Finsbury Park Mosque. And what is absolutely telling is that the likes of Finsbury Park Mosque had a meeting with the UK CEO of HSBC in London, in Canary Wharf, in the high rise that everyone sees whenever flying into London. And the quite alarming point of this meeting, as I was told, and I have absolute confidence in the chairman of Finsbury Park Mosque, who was, by the way, with his local MP, Jeremy Corbyn, at the time yet to be a Labour leader. Yeah. Upon citing their grievance, he said that the CEO looked at us in total disbelief and had absolutely no idea what we were talking about. He asked to be excused for five minutes. He left the room. He came back and he said, listen, this is from above. Those were his words. Those were from above. Yeah, you could picture him going into the other room and M from James Bond is in there giving him orders. Exactly. No, it's surreal. It's surreal if not true. Who is above? And that is what leads me to really press on my assumption that this is a political decision. So... Where is this coming from? Is this statute or is this regulation? What is the official reason that they're debanking you? There isn't any. And that's the whole point. The banking sector is so powerful that there is very little or very limited oversight, even from the government. The government can't interfere in the decisions made by banks or financial institutions only to a very limited degree. The financial ombudsman has very limited powers and therefore is virtually futile in terms of its attempts to find out exactly why. There is no explanation. There is no official reason. Every single bank will tell you something that is vague, very vague, and you can't pin them down so that you can't take them to courts. Al Jazeera did reach out to some of the banks. HSBC and NatWest didn't comment. Barclays said in a statement that it couldn't comment on individual accounts, but supports, quote, the government's initiative to standardize the approach across banks, including non-exclusion on the basis of political or religious views or beliefs. Your reaction? Go figure. Again, no explanation. And this is the issue. I have from day one, nine years ago, I challenged them. I said, this is a political driven decision. Deny it if you will. The fact is they never denied it then. They will not admit to it or come out and speak of it today apart from the official line. So the story takes a turn. Just a few months ago, Nigel Farage, former leader of the far-right UK Independence Party, went through a similar experience of getting debanked. In the last couple of weeks, Nigel Farage really dominated the headlines when it came to banking in the UK. He's now published a document that he says he obtained from Coots that explains why they closed his bank account. It cites extreme, hateful and emotive language, xenophobic, chauvinistic and racist views. But in this case, it led to the resignation 
of the bank's CEO and a national inquiry. The chief executive of NatWest Bank, that's Dame Alison Rose, has resigned. So I'm wondering, how did you feel watching that story unfold? Uh, there were two things that I felt, Kevin. The first is that, oh, this story, I've personally experienced several times before, Nigel. So, you know, take it on the chin, my, my friend. Yeah. But the second is how hypocritical, how hypocritical of our media, of our government, of our banks, and of, to an extent, even our society, that all of a sudden, this becomes top billing on every single news channel, every yeah. single newspaper. All of a sudden, we have parliament convening. We have the bank coming clear and uh, heads of banks being sacked. We have the prime minister jumping on the bandwagon, condemning the bank's decision. Having consulted on the payment services regulations, we are, we are in the process of cracking down on this practice by tightening the rules around account closures. I was warned never to apply ever again to the bank. His bank accounts were reinstated, and he even said at that time, that's not enough, I'm going to seek damages. Oh, it is unbelievable. And you're waiting nine years. I'm waiting nine years. But you know what? After that, I said, listen, if this is, this is a bandwagon that's in town today, I'm going to jump on it, and I'm going to talk about my own plight because, you know, we regard ourselves as British citizens. I've never, ever broken the law. And therefore, I should only expect to be treated like anyone else, Nigel Farage or anyone else. Yeah. Does the Farage, the fact when it happens to Farage, it becomes a national scandal. Does this show that anyone can get stitched up like this, but some have a voice and some don't have a voice when it comes to redressing those issues in modern Britain? Yes, you're right. Nigel Farage has a media channel. Nigel Farage has a widespread following. Nigel Farage is Nigel Farage. Come on. I mean, I hate using racial terms, but he's a white, wealthy Brit. And therefore, it seems that our media are concerned with someone like him far more than they are with hundreds, probably even thousands of others who don't hold claim to the same attributes that he does. Mm. And that is deeply problematic. And by the way, despite my disdain for his politics, I absolutely welcome anything that he gets from the banks. Mm. If he gets his damages, then it's good for him. Because I think that ultimately this is wrong. Banks are financial institutions. Their decisions m must be based on financial decisions, not political or ideological ones. Imagine if the water company said, I don't agree with your position on this matter or your views on this political issue, and therefore I'm going to cut off your water supply. It'll be absolute bedlam. And this is something we have to reject. Yeah, so that's why you're talking about enshrining banking as a human right. Because it's not the idea that a bank can manage its own, what you could say, risk appetite, which sounds like a, a band name. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the issue. The issue is that you've clearly seen that when you have the problem and somebody like Nigel Faraz has a problem, they're adjudicated completely differently. And not to mention, by the way, walking around London, one of the great money laundering capitals of the world. I mean, you see the Thames, all these high-rise apartments owned by shell companies, and suddenly you're the person that they're coming after? Unfortunately, I've been told time and time again that no politician in their right mind 
will ever clash with the giant that is the banking sector. In fact, many of our politicians today sit as advisors or on boards or as directors and are paid handsomely by financial institutions. So the last thing they will do is to argue for the sake of someone like myself and especially charitable organizations. The government has started to consider changes since Farage's case. We understand the Treasury will go further and make banks and building societies give customers three months' notice of account closures, as well as providing them with full explanations of the reasons why. But Ennis says there's still a long way to go. Ultimately speaking, banks have to be held to account. And the absurd thing is that most of those banks were bailed out only a few years ago to the tune of hundreds of billions by ourselves as taxpayers. So in a way, I own a stake in those banks that are debanking me. The banks have so much power in a society that claims to be a democratic society yet, which offers so much power and authority to banks which aren't elected bodies, yet they have so much power and yield so much power over our lives. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lynn with Faranisa Kapana, David Enders, Amy Walters, Chloe K. Lee, Sonia Bagat, Ashish Malhotra, Khalid Sultan, Zaina Badr, and me, Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan, Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.